This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Ashley, you ready? Yeah. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast on the Makery Network. I'm Jeff Fader, and before we get into it with my buddy, Ashley Childs, I got to talk to you about a few people and things. Listen, here's the good news. The good news is Ashley's here. The bad news is your website sucks. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to AK Interactive and get it squared away, and this is the reason why it obviously it doesn't suck, but it could be better. It could be better. You need to see your website like another employee or someone to help you. You know all your stuff. You know what you're going to do. You have your product. You have the techniques. You've figured it all out. You, you have a market. But you need to bring in that money. And your website's going to help you because it's going to save you time and energy. You just need all your information out there so you don't have to constantly deal with emails and back and forth and the nonsense. If you go to akinteractive.com and you tell them, go talk to the Golden Kalani, Andreas Kalani, and go say to him, hey, Jeff says the fader, uh, Jeff says the Full Blast podcast is going to give you 10% off. He's going to give you 10% off on your website. He's excellent at marketing collateral design, logo and identity design, a web design, e-commerce. He uses common platforms such as Shopify, Wix, and WordPress. He's going to give you a, a, a price, and you're going to give him 50%, and then 50% when it's done. And the best part is there's no monthly maintenance fees. He's made websites for Steve Schwarzer, Mike Tyree, Don Wynn, Will Brigham, Luke Delmer. He knows what he's talking about. And what's going to happen is he's going to be able to help you figure out the kind of website you want, and you'll be able to grow with that website. You're not going to have to worry about it. So go to akinteractive.com. Get yourself a good website. I'm begging you because it's the one thing business is important, unfortunately, in the maker community. And you get your business better with a good website. Okay. You got your knives. You got your hammers. You got your axes. You got your leather. And you need something to put on it. And maybe you want something put to put on it without any uh, petroleum my products. Why don't you use Axe Wax? Axe Wax is an all-natural food-safe wax for your stuff. I use it for all my handles. I just put it on. Uh, what did I just throw it on? I'm throwing it on some walnut handles that I'm finishing up this week, and I love the fact that they're culinary knives, and I'm able to say, hey, listen, you're not going to have to worry about it because there's no weird ickiness in the, in the, in the wax. It's all-natural food-safe. And if you go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, they're going to give you 10% off. And if you're in the UK, go over to Toby's place, UK Knife Supply, put in Full Blast 10. He's going to give you 10% off uh, all of your axe wax. Okay? So, guys, thank you very much for supporting the podcast. I appreciate it. Go get yourself some axe wax. Get yourself a new website. My guest is my friend, Ashley Childs. I had a wonderful conversation with Ashley Childs. I guess I felt like it's a couple years ago on Knife Talk. We had a real good conversation, and she was at the time 
she was going all over the place, seeing the New England School of Metalwork and Jesse Savage, and she went over to uh, Josh Prince, and then down to me, and then down to, down to the Center for Metal Arts, and she was this roving metalworker. She's a student <laughs> of Nick Rossi. She's a student of Seth Gould. She was a former mo- fashion model and, and jeweler and gallerist and art major and Patagonia spokesperson or model, spokesmodel. And Black now <laughs> she's got a new project that we're very, I'm very, very excited about. And I'm looking forward to talking to Elk and Hammer. Ashley Childs, how are you? <laughs> I'm so nervous, but I'm also sweating because it's 80 degrees outside and my car must be 75 degrees inside. 80. AC. <laughs> so That's I, ironic. AC I call needs you AC. some AC. I actually love that nickname. I never thought of that. Mom. It's such an easy AC. Hey, what's up? What's up, AC? AC. It works. Well, listen, be honest with you, I really don't want you to be nervous because we're friends. And I we've know, had we're wonderful conversations in the past. And we're gonna we're gonna find all this out. And it's just you and me. You know, there's nobody listening. Trust me. <laughs> now yeah. I saw the I saw the <laughs> listen, I don't, I hate yeah. to make jokes. I just got the recent report. <laughs> it could be a lot better, trust me. So here's what I want to talk to you about. Last time we spoke if you if you want to hear the the first conversation that Ashley and I had, go over to Knife Talk. We it was Knife Talk with Ashley Childs. It was a couple. I feel like it was a couple years ago. It was, it was probably two years ago. But it was cool is that I was in the Jeep with you, so I would right, give you funny right. looks and scrunch my face. So it was a much different kind of interaction with you than just like a yeah. phone call type situation. Now you can't well, see me. I mean, you can't watch me scrunch my face when you say something weird. That's perfect. I don't. That's the thing about this podcast. <laughs> Maybe that'll it's, throw the, you the, off. The, mm. No, you know what? The funny thing is, is we've now with Knife Talk, we've now Craig has figured out a way for us to do Knife Talk live, and with video. So I've had to change. Oh, I've had cool. to change a few things around. I'm against it personally. Personally, yeah, if you ask me, person, OG radio guy. I to me, the audio content is the most important. And I'll tell you why. The people who listen to podcasts are doing other things. This is the best reason why you listen to the radio, best thing you're listening to the podcast. You can multitask. You can do other things while you're listening and concentrating as opposed to watching TV or, or watching a YouTube. I, I, I Frankly, I don't watch a lot of YouTube videos unless they're my friends right. because it's like it's almost too much. It's too much for me to concentrate on. And... I find myself really kind of like, I, there's a few things I watch at night, but I mean, I really, I listen to baseball games. I listen to basketball games on the radio. I like the oh. idea that I can kind of like do other things while I'm doing it. But the thing is, is like with the video, with the video, I mean, you do get a different vibe, but like when I look back you know, usually, especially with Knife Talk, I'm doing other things. Like, I'm maybe I'm posting to get people to watch it live, or maybe I'm looking at some notes or something like that, and it doesn't look like I'm paying attention, which drives me right. crazy. Yeah. So that's the... But with this, you know, I'm... With this, someone's probably... Me, imagine probably I'm... A hand, probably someone's hand-sanding their little elbows out of their sockets and listening to us chit-chat. I mean, I'd be down for that. I'd listen to shit when I was... I would actually put on movies back in the day, and I could tell how long something would take me by how many movies just ran through, because I just listened to the movie, <laughs> if that makes I sense. I have an, a very embarrassed, just to get you relaxed, <laughs> I have an incredibly embarrassing story that my Perfect. wife 
hates. Hates. Great. I'm this sorry, is the Hillary. Heart. This is the truth. <laughs> when my wife and I first got, after college, 1996, we moved to New York. We had a tiny one-bedroom apartment in on 14th and 1st. Awesome first apartment. Awesome first apartment. And I was making these giant fishing lures. I started doing them in college, and I was selling them while I was in college to, you know, friends in the family and stuff like that. And when I left college, I thought, well, I'm going to be making these lures right, you know, I didn't have a job. I had, I had a studio in Brooklyn uh, uh, with my business, with my friend, uh, Jamie uh, Montgomery. He and I had a shop in Brooklyn. And then I was working for a number of different artists. And I was the assistant because a lot of artists don't know how to weld. So I was welding up stuff for them and I, whatever. In the meantime, I was trying to do stuff at home when I wasn't at the shop. And I was going to my dad's shop in upstate New York. I was cutting out like 10 or 15 giant fishing lures. And I'd sand them down to his place. And I'd bring them back to my apartment on 14th Street. And then I'd paint them in the living room. So there were days. There were days I was preparing for a show. There were days. There might have been a week or two where all I was doing was painting these giant lures in our living room, in a tiny living room. So my wife would be, at the time, she was my girlfriend, she was getting up to go to nursing school. I would be, it was hot as hell. We didn't have an air conditioner, just like this, hot as hell, in Manhattan. Yeah. I was in my underwear. I was in my (laughs) underwear, painting. I would go to Blockbuster Video, and they had Blockbuster Video. I'd rent a pile of, I'd rent a pile of videos. I'd rent a pile of videos, and then I would put them on. And then I'd get back into my underwear, and then I'd paint all day. Hot as hell. So when my wife would come home, I it looked like I hadn't moved. And I was just still in my underwear, but just mm. covered in paint. And right. there was one time where she walked in the door. And this is like after a couple days of me painting these lures. And I was making worse headway, but I was watching the fucking movies. She saw the, the blockbuster tapes and she sees me like she opens the door. I haven't clearly haven't moved except for I've been painting all day. And there's, you know, you, if you looked, you see that there was a lot of painting done. I'm, oh, you like how I'm defending myself even now? Yeah. After like well, that's what know, we 25 have to do. years we of defending myself. Consists still defending ourselves for being amazingly nuts. So. I get it. Well, she said she she she. I could tell on by her face. She said she was like, "This is what I fucking moved to New York for." It was very much along the lines. And if you bring Ooh. it up to her, she's constantly like, "There was a couple moments where I was just like, what the fuck am I doing?'" Because I'm like, you know, I got the you know renting movies from Blockbuster and painting all day. So it just kind of just sounds like a know, dream situation I, to me. Just I wouldn't. It wasn't be hot a dream. Oh, was it it was dream? not okay. a dream. It wasn't a dream because it, it took me, it was hard to, you know, decompress in the house. I mean, it was, you know, working artists trying to do whatever it takes. And at the time I had been selling work and stuff like that, selling the sculptures, but it wasn't enough to maintain, like I could sell them and they were doing great, but I, it was not enough to maintain, like I couldn't have done it over time without the assistant jobs and stuff like that. All right. right, right. Regardless, yeah. I like... That's the reason why I like audio, because I feel like you are able to have uh, intimate conversation. People can hear it and do other things. So that's that. Right. Since we since I last saw you, 
Ooh, so much happened. You, <laughs> so much happened. We got to catch up because I mean, and, and I need to. I need to really know more about Elk and Hammer. So, yeah. you went down to the Center for Mental Arts, hung out with Paquin, went back up to Wyoming, and then, as far as I know, all of a sudden you sent me this message with this picture of a pair of Patagonian pants on, and you said, "I'm going to be in Patagonia." What happened? You were in Patagonia. What happened? Uh, I went to, well, Jerry Coe is a, a bronzesmith in, uh, Oak, uh, not Oakland. I forgot where he, he lives. Jerry Coe. Um, he's good friends with Yvonne Chouinard. And I think he went to, I think he went to college with Melinda, Yvonne's, uh, wife. And. Okay. Jerry's been in my life since I was a little kid. He used to travel with my parents and take him on these big adventures and, uh, Japan, he taught himself how to speak Japanese. He's he's really kind of a renaissance guy. Wow. So he's been in my life a really long time. And my parents are insanely avid travelers. I mean, my dad literally has, his dream was to visit every country in the world, which is pretty fucking rad. To be his daughter, okay, he wasn't around. And, you know, I got some daddy issues, but that's okay. He lived his dream. And he, he, he did it. He did it. And now he's obsessed right. with pickleball. But anyway... um. I do, I, I do tend to that's digress a little. That's the sport of the future. I hear that's Apparently, the sport, I hear that's the sport of the future. This pickleball situation is it's, it's kind of big. I had no idea what it was. Let's just, so let's anyway, just stop here with the pickleball because I wait. I just got to do one quick thing of the pickleball. Yeah, I heard about the pickleball, and I, I don't have much to say about it except for they're redoing our park, and I was told that they're going to be putting two oh. pickleball courts on. Yeah, dude, and all I can like, think of is what the. F- it become it became international. It? It's miniature tennis. It's low impact tennis, but Pete, it's oh, got God. the wiffle ball that's a little so bit bigger than a big tennis ping ball. Pong. Yeah, but these people are—they're like serious sports people. Wow. That it's their life. So my dad went from "I want to go to every country in the world" to "I'm obsessed with pickleball." Anyway, uh, I went with Jerry Co to Buenos Aires, um, 2016, and that's where I really kind of got a pretty heavy dose of what blacksmithing's all about. I was hammering with OGs like Monica Coyne, Kirk McNeil. Um, it, it was it was a mind-blowing experience. It was out in the park. There were these, these mobs like pushing strollers a foot away from a giant coal forge on the ground in the middle of a park. I mean, wow. this is Argentina. Argentina is one of the most incredible places I've ever been in my life. Um, my hmm. Spanish sucks now, but uh, I, I went back All again right. four years later, and I've been wearing I the Patagonia hemp pants. They fit a woman. The the one they make for women actually fit really well because they're higher waisted. There's a cinch thing in the back. They're straight legs, so and they've got just just a good enough amount of pockets. They're really good, thick, heavy. Great for Montana. Great for Wyoming. And uh, Jerry sent an email to Melinda Chenard, a bunch of pictures of me and the whole crew, because uh, they're such good friends. And uh, she calls the guy, Jason Gonzalez, at Patagonia Workwear's marketing department. And it's like, Here, here's, the, the, here's Ashley's number. Just, just call her. Because <laughs> Melinda's, she's the boss. She's the boss lady. I right. have incredible respect for Melinda Chenard. What she's, she has she followed her husband's dream but she then her life 
kind of she is Patagonia. Okay, so Yvonne is, you know, the rock climber, but it's actually Melinda. She runs the show. I I it's, read his book about sur- what was the book? He, he, oh, he, he let, let, book about let my surf- people go surfing. Yeah. Let the, let the pe- I Screw really the nine like to five. the first let my, half. Let my people go surfing. Yeah. The first half of it, I was all in. All in. I loved the history. I loved, I loved, I just, I've, you and I have said this before, and I know that you've sent me pictures of the pitons he used to make, but, and for our list, for the listeners of the podcast, you know, Patagonia, you made me know it because he's got the fuzzy pullover jackets and you got the, you know, you see the, the Trustafarian kids wearing them and stuff like that. But back the, in the day, it started out as, it started out as he was, I mean, if you really want to talk about modern day blacksmithing and people who have been innovative to take blacksmithing to the, to, to the modern day, uh, Yvonne Chouinard started making pitons with a little giant, uh, at his shop, which was, uh, we talked about a great Pacific ironworks. He was a blacksmith and he traded it in as you told me the last time he traded, he, he sold it to black diamond. He didn't like the idea that rock climbing became a sport and there was a lot of questions of whether or not, you know, what's the environmental efficacy of putting right. pitons and rocks and all that stuff. So he kind of traded it all in and started doing, you know, camping clothes and stuff like that. Um, but in regards to the person that he is, you know, regardless of whatever you think, he was a blacksmith first. Oh, 100%. And he was taught by a guy from Europe because the European pitons would snap and people were dying. Right. So his friend, I think he was French yeah. or Swiss, taught Yvonne how to forge one properly with a thicker, there's this little area of the piton so it doesn't snap and it because it's basically holding you up from dying. So... Yeah. Uh, he 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 would sell them out there for a dollar fifty to all his friends <laughs> out there in, in uh, Yosemite in nineteen sixty something. And Jerry Jerry and he became good friends, and they've known each other. I mean, I went to Yvonne's house, and there's it's this tiny little surf shack because Jerry was staying there, and we were opening up Yvonne's blacksmithing shop, and he had this little fifty pound little giant. It was so cute. I loved it. We took it apart, degreased it. I, I I forged a little area to fix this rebar. We just use a big thing in rebar, and um, for one of the this kind of like a janky thinner section on the little giant. But we went over there for dinner, and literally there's. It's just, he's just a normal guy. He's got a surfboard. He's got two Subarus. He's got a tidy little surf shack. He's got his, his, uh, his surfboards all, they're all hanging on the ceiling. You walk in and there's like mismatched chairs and a bunch of Patagonia provisions in his kitchen, in the kitchen cupboard and vitamins. I was like, dude, you're cool. All right. (laughs) I would wonder. And we're, I want to get back into I want to get back into how you got that what how that oh, all happened well, with you and the the Patagonia thing was but cool because sort of, he 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 was well known for using like actual fishermen that were his friends actual of uh, right. mountain climbers oh he he called Jerry up he said Jerry hey I got this new clothing line would you come down to Yosemite put this sweatshirt on this red fleece climb up that mountain so we can take a picture of you and Jerry's like yeah sure and Jerry was on the cover of one of their first catalogs and what this. I don't remember. I was the seventies or eighties because he he also That's sold amazing. black he sold black diamond later on. He's like I I didn't want two companies. It was, it was too much too much to deal with. So he sold black diamond to his buddy 
forgot his name. I'm sorry for those who know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, but we don't want to talk about him. I I was I like confused the I people. like their quality. I do think it's a little overpriced, but you know, I splurged. I the, I took the pants with me to Buenos Aires, and I what's and this is what's great. You have this little 115 pound Caucasian American girl with her hair up and her glasses on. And I got to teach these giant, dude, they were big, big guys. They're all bladesmiths because Mauricio, and I can't pronounce his last name, but he's a one of the best. I have a feather Damascus knife that I bought at the blade show in Atlanta a couple weeks ago. He and I became good friends, but we don't even speak the same language. We just get translators. He's so lovely. Wow. He's like, he knows Steve Schwartzer. And I was like, oh, Steve, come over here and meet Mauricio. And Steve and I look out down at his knives and I said, yeah, he's good. Steve says, yeah, he's good. And we both look at each other and we looked at this feather Damascus knife. And Steve looks at me and says, well, if you don't get your wallet out, I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Steve and I are fighting over Mauricio's knife. But I got to teach these knife makers who love, you'll watch them work because they, they don't have power hammers in Argentina. I mean, hardly anybody does. So it's, you got these guys, and they love hitting the metal hard and fast. And I had to sit there and grab their arms and say, suave, suave, don't, you know, you're, I taught them how to make hammers. I was part of the hammer-making <laughs> class. And I'm teaching these giant, like, these, these big guys, and I've got my arm wrapped around their arm and showing them how to hit softly. It was just like this magical teaching moment. And... It was probably, I, you know, I had some drug problems back in the day, but there's nothing higher. There's nothing more incredible than a natural high of having your students come up to you and give you knives and hugs and tell you that you helped change their life. I went home, I mean, hmm. COVID hit, but I went home in tears because I was so happy. That was yeah. one of the most beautiful moments I will never forget. And I'm still friends with them, and I want to go back because we I have would, this thing in common. That that, it's incredible. I would think that that part of that high is is like the brain giving you the ability to say you you ha- you showed discipline and you you gave it to you gave this this gift to someone else and you deserve a little bit of happiness. Like, I feel like the brain. It's gives a little bit of dopamine when you've done a good job. Yeah. It's like a little star. It's like you did a I nice think, job. You did a nice job. I think job. it's I'm not spirit I'm not religious. I do believe everyone gets to have their own thing and I respect whatever you have in your life that works for you. I feel like there is this and I think Nick Anger would agree with me. There is something special. It's the art of giving without expecting hmm. anything back. And that goes back to ancient I mean, I studied art history. That kind of like mindset goes back to Japanese. Um, uh, it goes back so far out in history. If you give without expecting anything in return, you're actually going to get back more than you could ever expect. Well, but it's a, it's, I mean, without getting too woo-woo, it is a deeper form of learning. super woo-woo. And you know it's what? It's a deeper form. I can go there, but we go can ahead. come back to the surface we don't have to deep dive too far into that. I, I get it. Everyone's working and hand sanding and listening to my little mousy voice talking to Jeff Bader. I mean, don't 
I Come just, on, AC. Wow. You're fine. We're we're all good. Now listen. I, all right. So so I want to know about so this guy from Patagonia Workwear gets oh, a hold yeah. of you. So we're gonna do it. We're gonna we're yeah, gonna do he, a photo shoot with you. How did they? How did they have the idea? To what was the idea, and how did Jake get involved? Um, I got the email from Jason, and the, I, I told you last time I thought it was spam, but it wasn't. I said, "Hey, right. you know, Melinda gave us your information. Um, let's book a, a time. We can send you some clothes, and and we want to see your schedule, see if what works for you, and what area. We got you know hook you up with the photographer." Um, and we want to do a piece about you and, and blacksmithing and, 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 and the tool direction. Like I have a lot of knife making friends and, but I, at the time I was, I was just coming off of the high of learning how to forge hammers with Seth Gould. Hi Seth. Right. <laughs> and, um, Jake Farum and our schedules and the photographer Garrett Grove, he's fabulous. Um, we all had the same schedule, and it just worked out. So Jake got a bunch of clothes. I got a bunch of clothes. We made some hammers. It was great. And you know what? I'm I'm all about, I. and I've talked with Steve Schwarzer about this. I don't like bringing up the woman card, but I do agree that more people should just be acclimated, not shove it down their face. I don't want to get all me too and, 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 and women's rights here, but just acclimate yourself that yes, women do stuff like this too. We're welders, we're, we're woodworkers, we're farmers too, you know, it's fine. And I, I was just really stoked. Like, Oh, cool. Like I see a lot of men being posted on their advertising and a lot of men in their catalogs and they, I've never seen any women in their workwear, in, in a workwear situation, either advertising or whatnot, or farming, where it is very female heavy. So that just, hmm. that's it. That's all I'll say about that. But it was an honor to get some free clothes. I sent, I had the same pants, so I sent some to um, uh, Jesse Savage's wife and Andrea DeLeone. I was like, oh, here I got extra clothes. Who wants some? Like, I don't need three <laughs> pairs of these pants. Like, you know, if... I'm not going to sell them. I ra- if I, I could have sold them for a hundred, two hundred, three hundred bucks, but honestly, I rather give shit like that to my friends. That's just it. Just feels like the right thing to do. So, no, we it worked out for everybody. I, Great photos too. I I tend to think that because I I when, when I get I get the Patagonia catalog, and I always look through it and. Every so often, like I have a lot of Patagonia jackets and because they last so long. And I actually had a, one from college that the zipper ripped out. I sent it back to him to rep- or I dropped it off at a place and they sent me a yeah. message saying, we can't replace this. We're just going to give you a new one. And it was like, I just like, I like how they do business. And, you know, if something's wrong, send it back and they'll replace it. Or if they, if they can't fix it, they'll replace it. And I've always been a big fan of that. That's cool. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah. Although, and, and they, I, I, yeah. Sorry, I, I like their that. underpants. I like their underpants. In the summertime, oh. their underpants are the best there is. No, that close, I agree with you closer. on that. If there's something... Qual- Remember I asked your qu- question last time, quality over cheap? I feel like when it's oh, hot yes. out and you have to... I mean, I like underwear. I'm going to splurge on something that I'm comfortable. I'm not sweating in. Like, it's... Certain things are worth spending your money on. And some... Like, I have a really crappy... Oh. Oh? <laughs> now... 
Wait a second. Now okay. we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about. I want to talk about Elk and Hammer Ooh. because you were talking about. I I want to talk about your new your new business. And I'm sorry for I stopping you. We were no, talking. We were having a, we were having a perfectly job. nice conversation about underpants. But now I figured <laughs> now's the time to talk about Elk and Hammer. Okay. Great. I so, love it. I'm all about it. Let's what, hit, me, hit me with some questions. What gives what do you? What gives when is the idea for Elk and Hammer? When or what? Because when is a I want a place when of, first and what next? Okay, timeline. I wanted I got dumped a long time ago. I've been single a very long time, probably almost ten years. But this guy dumped me and I was and just shattered. It's actually a good thing because he's <laughs> anyway, so but in the midst of when when your life is falling apart, you, right? You you'll never expect that sometimes you you decide to think outside the box of the what you're what you're you're living in, and you think of these other magical ideas because you're so broken. And I was like, dude, I want to own my own gallery. This was like eight years ago. I would be a great gallery owner. I have great taste. I know a lot of great quality maker people. Well, not not as many as I did now. Like now I do a lot more. But back then I was like, God, you know, make it all homey, a big leather chair and, you know, some coffee, gorgeous paintings, art, sculptures, tools. Anyway, uh, forward track to a couple years, actually 2020, I bought a website and I... It was a very vague idea. I didn't think it would work. And I've, I have spent thousands of hours in doubt, in self-doubt. And over time, the more I talk about it, the more I talk about it with other people, it kind of started developing by itself. And on a road trip from, God, where I was like in the middle of Nebraska or some weird place, super flat, I think, but beautiful sunsets. I was I was thinking about it, you know, you, you're in the, it's like when you're in the shower or you're just you're on a big long road trip or whatever. And I had thought of a one name and I asked my old coworker and he's like, eh, "I don't know, it doesn't uh, I don't know about that." So I go on this road trip, I come back and in the literally in the Have you ever been somewhere either in the middle of your workspace or you're in the middle of a job and all of a sudden your brain thinks of a paperclip for no reason? I mean, yeah, maybe specifically a paperclip. I don't know. Just a random totally has nothing to do with your doing. Your brain's just like, oh, uh, huh. Pickles. Yeah. I like pickles in my sandwiches. Like it's not, you're, you're like, whoa, where, where did that come from? The brain is a mysterious and wonderful universe. So I was in the middle of Nebraska. I think it was Nebraska. And I thought, oh my God, wait, Elk and Hammer. Oh, oh, oh. Because I was moving to Montana, there's a lot of hunters here, and I'm obsessed with hammers yeah. and making. It's a beautiful tool with and, and the historical significance of a hammer is beyond my person. It's just wonderful, and I, I, it just hit me. It hit me in the middle of nowhere. I, and I was like, oh shit, and I bought the website, and then I was on my way to. I was on my way, I was road tripping from Wyoming to North Carolina to then go to Buenos Aires, come back and then go to Andy Donor's concentration at Penland School of Craft. 
Andy Doner, I feel like, is one of the most exceptional blacksmiths, but also an exceptional toolmaker. And that was cut short because of COVID. But Buenos Aires happened. Right. I, I taught all the guys how to make hammers. So I, I'm literally homeless. My roommate in Jackson doesn't want me to come home. And then my best friend in Denver says, oh, hey, are you going to come visit me? It's like lockdown. Everyone's freaking out. You go to the gas station. Everyone looks at you like you have a disease. Like everyone was freaking out. I lived with her for a month. And it just, we talked about it a lot. We, t- we talked about the gallery idea. I talked about, well, you know, Denver's too big. I, you know, Jacksonville is too small. Seattle has no sun. I don't want to be in California anymore. And I, you know, I, my family has this, this place in uh, Paradise Valley that is an exceptional family situation that I get to take care of later. And uh, I just thought, oh, you know, fuck it. I'll just, yeah, I could, I could move to Bozeman. It's close enough. There's museums. There's great schools. It's growing. Why not? Why not? Why not change my life one more time? And 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 deep dive into this this gallery project that because I've been on the other I've been in your shoes, Jeff. I've been in galleries. I have lost thousands of dollars because of shoddy store owners and dishonesty. I have had a blogger write about me, and what she said was abhorrently inappropriate. I've been on both. I've been on that side, and I thought, God, what if I build something where the artist was safe, people understood who they were, they cared if they went to school and were a sculpture artist and traveled the world. Nobody cared. I was a jeweler for fifteen years. Nobody cared that I was obsessed with Frank Gehry and architecture and sculpture design. I mean, I just, I it blows my mind. They just. So I want to change the game. And you know what? As I remember re- reading that book, Let My People Go Surfing, Yvonne is, he is one of those unique game changers. And he said, if you want to understand the entrepreneur, study the juvenile delinquent. And let me tell you one thing. I was a, I was a terrible daughter. I pulled some really awful stuff. I was a bad alcoholic, drunk, you name it. And I got out of it. And he says... The delinquent is saying with his actions, this sucks. I'm going to go do my own thing. And you know what? This gallery situation around the world, it sucks. And I want to, I want to change it. I want the customer to give, to care about where their tools came from and who made this stuff. Where did their food come from? Hmm. I want to de-Amazon how we buy things because we are a culture that is begging to get our hands dirty look at forge and fire all these kids are eating up all our anvils right they're desperate to get their hands dirty and make something with their hands it feels good to work with your hands so elk and hammer is basically a curated gallery high quality for craftsmen craftsmen artists sculptors Tool makers, I'm assuming knife makers and jewelers and stuff like that. It seems like it's almost yeah. like you're creating the concept of a lifestyle. Uh, I don't know if you call it a lifestyle. I think I'm creating a, a story, sort of a... Uh, this, is the, this is the hard part. How do you sell something where the idea is so weird? And like, really, well, like even... Here's, here's what I... 
What do you think? Tell Here's me. Here's what, what I'm you... getting out of it based. Okay. Give me your Here's thing. what I think. And tell me if I'm right or wrong. What I've noticed in regards to the people that you've been getting con- in contact with, and I went to the website and I saw the who is involved and it's very familiar names and stuff. I feel as though knowing you, you have, especially when you were traveling around and, and getting to know craftsmen and artists when you went to go see Jesse and me and Josh Prince and, and Pat. That was and a very impromptu. Was, that was not planned. That was just kind of a fuck it part of my life, which actually was my, as Morgan Keenan of Cutaway would say, was my R&D, my research and development. I had no idea I was doing it, but I was actually gearing up for where I am now without even realizing it, which is... That's what I was going to get to. What I was going to get to was it feels as though, it feels as though you are creating relationships... And the people that you've been creating relationships with will end up becoming the people who are involved with Elkin and Hammer. And I got the feeling as though, especially because you, you, you know, when you, when you, the idea of the gallery is, is really it's a, it's a money maker, and you know, you know the gallery represents artists, and then you sell the work, and then right. the gallery gets a cut, but there's and then the a artist twist. gets a cut. And there's there, a twist to that too. I, tell me. So, from my experience. Every when I was selling this project to, uh, you know, makers all around the country, and and I had reached out to some people I admired, and you know, maybe nervous to even ask. And Jill Sukup was one of those people, and she's a painter in Denver, and she knows the horse better than uh, most people. She studies anatomy. She's a horse painter, and she just has this style that's just so beautiful. And she called me back, and I said, "Look, this is the kind of place where you have." creative input you get to read the story before we publish it you get to choose if you like these photos or not you get to be in charge of how you're represented and it's a safe place where your work is respected not just by us but then you have control of how it's seen by the public who's going to want to buy it i don't think galleries do that because you're i mean when you go into something wanting to be i want to be a millionaire and you're like whole focus is monetary And I used to do that. My whole focus at the end of my jewelry career was I need to make money. And I I almost, I worked myself practically to death. I had a nervous breakdown. And it was like, no, actually, this isn't how, this isn't how it works. I I don't think this is conducive to your nervous system, clearly. Hmm. I want to go into it where money will come later. It will. I know it will. Right now, I'm focused on the giving part, and then it'll come back to me later. So, I hope (laughs) you you have create you've invested your time and energy into relationships with the people that you're going to be who are going to be involved with Elk and Hammer. And they, can I tell you a quick story about please gallery? Uh, Go ahead. A couple years ago, I was I mean jewelry is a it's a hard sell. There was a, there was a, like a sort of motor, motorcycle type, very like rock star, West Hollywood, um, kitschy gallery that actually liked my jewelry. And they sold all kinds of like, you know, rock star stuff and leather. But I had this gorgeous gold mesh necklaces and they loved them. And I was in there about a year and a half and, and, and I got a phone call from one of the owners and she's like, oh, hey, you know, can you come in and, um, 
can you come in and pick up your jewelry? We're, we're rearranging the store. We're, we're going to, we got to take everything out and then, and then we're going to reopen in about two months. And I was like, okay. So I get there and the entire store is empty. And I get my memo out and my little thing and all my notes. And I was like, oh, okay, you sold this, sold this, sold this. And, and I said, because I was going to pick up the rest of my jewelry and a check. Right? You probably yeah. expect you're going to get paid too if you sold some, if they sold some of your work. She hands me an envelope uh, and like it's got, story. oh yeah, this is, oh, it's a good one. I said, so what's, what's going on? Where's everything? Where is everything? Oh, well, um, the two owners of the gallery, um, one of them's, you know, selling a, a part of their share and, and then we're going to buy them back. And, you know, you're going to call this lawyer on the, on the other side and she's going to give you your check for $1,500 of the jewelry that we sold. And I was like, wait, what? And then I, you know, we talked about future designs and I was all happy and I had my, the jewelry to take home and put in other stores. And I I called the lady, I got to my car. I went I walked around the corner. I went to my car. I called the lawyer lady. The lawyer lady says, Oh, I'm really sorry. Yeah. I represent the other, the other 50% owner and they're suing each other. You need to call the other lawyer to get paid. I was, (laughs) I sat there in my car and I thought, huh, wait a minute. Did they just, did they just ping pong me? And they're not going to, I ended up never getting paid. I mean, it might've been like 1850. That's a lot of money for us. It's a lot of money for working artists for, you know, a month, a month and a half of sales, according to their books. And dates and what sold when. And it, there was a piece in there, this gold fringe piece. I had worked, oh my God, probably it was worth way more than I let them put on consignment. And you know, you don't, you don't make a lot of money with when it's on consignment. So you have to be in multiple stores to make anything work. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And These... I, I, it was awful. How dare you treat your artists like this? Who, who, who would do that? It's, oh God. I've had. Similar stories in regards to, I mean, I haven't had that, but I haven't had that bad. I actually recently had a uh, a place I had a couple knives in, one or two knives in, and some sculpture. And the the family they got divorced, and I'm still trying to get hold of some of the stuff. And it's like I know I know what that's like, you know. So, but I it makes me makes me think to myself. Well, this, the, you know, these interactions, one of the things about gallerists is usually the, the, in general is they're not, they, they don't have a huge, uh, they haven't had the experiences that you've had in terms of going to art school, being a working artist, yeah. being a jeweler, being on the other end. How they're they're is, advertisers, they're marketers, they're business people. Artists aren't business well, I mean, people. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the, I mean, this is, this is the unsung rule and whether you like it or not, it, the fact remains is artists are terrible business people. So that's what the reason why gallerists and brokers and agents are the ones who are there is because they're very aware of how bad artists are at business. So what I'm asking is, is now that, I mean, you have the experience of being on the other end, how is that going to affect how you run Elk and Hammer? I'm going to run it differently. I'm going to give them more money than most galleries would. Most galleries take 50 or 40%. And every artist I've talked to, I said, look, 
you're just as involved as I am, just as involved as the photographer, the writer, how your work is displayed online, how it's shipped out. So are you a consignment person? Yeah. No? Okay, great. I mean, do you want to do an exclusive run of books? And then I'll just pay you up front and then we'll sell them later. There's Brian Beadler. He's a bookmaker. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. He's going to hopefully, we'll do a story and we'll do a couple runs of like exclusive books for the gallery. I'll just probably have to pay him out, right? You know, and then there's Beautifully Served. Her name is Jill Rikers. She's in, she's kind of near Denver. She makes this really great forged cutlery, but not as refined as Erica Moody, but both very different aesthetics. So definitely like usable tools in the beginning, which are great sellers. Um, she's a, she's in a bunch of stores. She's like, yeah, yeah, just take 50, you know, you just take 50%. And I was like, okay. But the premise is treating my artists like they're my family and like that, that, that they own this business too. Because as an artist, we want to be, yes, we have to make money, but I was really frustrated when someone came to a booth or they went to a show and I, I made some very expensive jewelry. We're talking like Cartier. I could have sold my designs to Cartier. And then I, I saw that I did mm. get my, some of my rings did get, uh, duplicated. Someone stole my idea. But then, you know, Neil Kamamura looks at me. He's like, oh, you'll just come up with another idea that's better. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> but the idea I mean, is... Unfortunately, that's what you have to do. Right. Unfortunately. But then the challenge is there. The artist, that challenge that our brains work, we can do that. That's what we thrive on. That's my drug. How can I make this design different or better? That's what I loved about designing jewelry. But I just didn't like everything else that came with that world the vanity the customers the guns the diamonds the theft it's a shady mafia business i know maybe hmm. some jewelers out there don't experience that but one of the guys that i worked with had a pistol in his desk not a huge fan of that but that's what comes with the territory <laughs> so that's also why i left okay. the business Guns, drugs, okay. you know, mafias, yeah, you name it. It's real. Are you saying, wait a second, you can be be vague. You've been involved, you have seen uh, illegal activities in the, in the jewelry business? Be vague, allegedly. Yeah. That's as vague as I can hmm. say. I'll tell you a story. Okay. This is a okay, good go story. Okay, go ahead and this be vague. I, Be vague, um, and this is an alleged story. Allegedly, go allegedly, ahead. I my first job, my first job was with Ellie Thompson. She's my mentor. She's my one of my best friends now. I still, I still do a lot of work for her, and she's an avid mountain biker. She's an incredible woman. Um, she was a jeweler um, that I ended up getting. I, I interned for her in Chicago, and then I ended no up, names, no names of companies. Wait, wait, stop everything. Yeah, Tell but the this, story. Is some, this is, no this is the context. This is the context. No names, no companies, AC. Yeah, no but names, Ellie, no company my, names. Okay, okay. Well, this is okay. when I was right. working here on with in, her. Make no them names. Up. Make them up. Go ahead. Um, the building downtown, there's, a, there's every major city in the world has a place called the Jewelry District, right? Right. Okay. Right. And they consist of very tight little different pockets of um 
big. Okay, they've got the the Polish goldsmiths in one area district okay. or in one office. You've got the 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 Jewish uh, Orthodox um, family that sells all the boxes. Like there's little pockets. It's it, the jewelry right. is a gotcha. global art form. It's right incredible. Allegedly, Ellie was sharing her office with a woman named. Not, ah, uh, <laughs> not just Mrs. a woman. M. And Mrs. M. Mrs. M. Don't be I, cute. I, just say a woman and then keep going. A woman. Just be as vaguer than vaguer than you think. Okay. Please. A woman was paired up with a dude to uh, buy Perfect. a couple diamonds from a dude number two, a couple floors okay. away in a different building. Whatever. Okay. They bought the diamonds from dude number two. I'm not going to say okay. anything about countries or anything because I love Fine. the globe. Don't okay. Keep going. Keep uh, going. Keep going. Uh, lady and dude go back to their offices with these diamonds for, you know, for customers or whatever. Big, big diamonds. Right. Hello. Big, big. Yeah. Big fancy. Uh, okay. And they're, they're fake. They're, really? they're, they're, they're lab-grown diamonds, which are actually really good. I mean, you don't have to dig anything up. You can just grow it in a lab. So they go across the street. They go to guy, you know, dude number two. And they walk in to dude's office. And they look over to the right, and there's a dude number three who's really tall. Really tall. We're in a kind of a nice suit, too. And Mrs. M says, that's not even her initial, um, their initial, <laughs> his initial, whatever. Uh, woman one and dude two say, oh, you know, so uh, we just bought these diamonds from you. We had them, you know, under a, a really fancy uh, microscope. That's how you grade diamonds yeah. these fancy microscopes the, right. the technology is incredible the tools are beautiful i'm obsessed with tools of all kinds uh, you know right. and and so you know mr dude number two they're you know they're fake and he leans back in his chair he looks over at his his guy friend over there on the right his left and he leans back and he takes a big deep sigh and he goes okay he looks down Takes his right hand, opens up this drawer, takes out, maybe it was a Glock or a pistol or whatever. Sets it on the top of his desk. Puts his arms in his lap, leans back again, looks at his friend, his tall friend in the room and says, Do we have a problem? So, number one and number two dude, they left, they said, okay. All right, and they looked at the tall guy to their right. He's staring at them, and they left the building with diamonds that they bought that were fake. That you know, that's that's that they knew were fake. They knew they were fake, and the guy had a gun. Okay, so the guy bought the, gonna, what, the they bought the 
All right, so let me just clear this whole story up. So make it sure so the, these guys buy buy the diamonds. They bring it to the they bring it to a lab. They come. They realize they're fake. They bring it back to the guy that they bought it from. Says to the guy that they bought it from, "These are fake." The guy pulls out of something, and then he says, "Is there a problem?" And then they're like, "Obviously, there's not a problem." And they got to eat these two fake diamonds. Exactly. Okay. That's that what sounds I terrible. That's pretty frightening. Cool story though, so, right? Guns. It's. A, I don't like it. Were you? Were you? Were you? Were you there? Or you? This wait, is a hearsay. Wait, this, this is another good, wait, this story. This is a really good story. I because. Yo, I lo- listen, AC. Listen to me more? for a second. Yeah. Yes. Listen to me for a second. You're gonna be vague, right? Oh, this one I don't have to be vague. This was just an insurance thing, and it was. I. I was like blown away. I was like, oh, this okay. is the kind of. So okay. I, I had to pick up a lot of stuff for my boss. Um, okay. there's a lot of running around up and down mold making. There's molds you pick up, di- you know, setters and everybody, you know, diamond setters and engravers and, and every, you know, I was friends with all these guys. They loved me. It was, it was a magical kind of job. I, I just loved making friends with these guys and it was, it was fun. That's when and when it was fun. And then Ellie says, Oh, Hey, you know, can go to cross the street, da, 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 pick up, da, 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 da. I've got some customers. Okay, great. You know, that's my job. I'm a runner. Right. Go across the street, pick up the, the thing, and there's, okay, you know, there's every time you go in a building, you have to pr- press a, a doorbell, and there's a camera, and you look up at the camera, and then they make sure that you are who you say you are, and then they buzz you in. But you're always buzzed right. in. That's the name of the game. And, I, okay, here's this piece of paper, and it's, okay, can you sign? And it says, um, three cushion-cut diamonds. Like an insane amount of carrots, three hundred or two hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars worth of diamonds in my pocket. Oy. I gulped. I I signed it. This is my job. I I I put it in my purse. I put my purse close to my body. I put my. I, this was new. This was new. I was an intern. I was new. I was this young little college kid. And I go up to I go up to my boss's office and I was like, um, so what happens if someone tries to rob me? She's like, oh, if someone pulls out a gun, you just give them your purse. You're insured for half a million. I was like, oh, wait, what? Wait. She's like, yeah, just so give me your purse. So wait a second. So so you're so you're supposed to put robbed, the put the diamonds she, in your purse and you and if you they've insured you. If you get robbed, my boss has insured me. If someone comes up to me and who's been watching me and they know who I work for, and there are guys that do that, they will watch. They're watchers. They'll watch you where you go back and forth. And there was a guy that they Jesus. were watching and they robbed him blind and they, he, he was not insured. And he was a he was a, a gemstone dealer that, that we, we would go to city to city. You know, he had all the good stuff, and he his job was traveling. Um, anyway, it was. I just it made me uncomfortable. I, I I'm uncomfortable with that, and I was I'm uncomfortable with how they treat the guys digging up these stones. I'm uncomfortable with the vanity part. I was I could play it. I could play the vanity part. I could wear the high heels. I could put on makeup, but honestly, that's just not who I am. I just I, and every year I was mind, like, "This is just, this is not." One foot in, one foot out for fifteen years. 
And I, 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 whoever out there needs to hear this, because I needed to hear this a really long time ago. I give you permission to change your entire life or just a tiny part of it when it comes to like putting sugar or not putting sugar in your coffee. I give you permission to change your life. That's it. And I had to do that. In my mind, I see, I see your boss as like this. I see him saying, Hey, go get AC, go get it. Go get it. Go get that thing down the street. Go get AC. And there's poor sending poor Ashley child across the street to get, what do I do? What do I do if they rob me? Yeah, don't worry. We got you. We're, you know, we got not, you. We got gonna you. Get hurt, but we got you. We got you insured. AC. Don't worry. Don't worry about thing. AC. Yeah, I but like I it. could All get right. anyway. That's that's the fun part. That's it. That's that's my that's it. My jewelry career is over. I'm glad you got out of that on that weird underbelly. It <sighs> makes me uncomfortable. Just, doesn't it? I I believe. So now that, I want okay, to get back anyway, to you. Keep going. Sorry, I'm, you're in charge. Right. Listen to me. Listen to me, AC. Listen to me, AC. I'm listening. Get some ice. <laughs> you get crazy. I have ice. Okay. Just get some ice. Just, just can we just paint a picture here? I'm sweating. It's paint 85 the picture, degrees. AC. There's 85 degrees inside my car, inside my garage, so I could properly record this. Because when I heard uh, uh, Joshua Prince when you interviewed him, I, I, I felt like I had a headache. I love, I love him, <laughs> but that goddamn chair, no, he, the squeaking chair. Wait, listen to me. Listen to me. Wait, we have to set that AC. You have to set have this up. When he was on Knife Talk. Oh, he's Knife Talk. Oh, when that's he was right. On, when, yeah. When, he, when Joshua Prince was on Knife Talk, it wasn't awesome. When he came on here, it was great, and you're fine, and we're onward. <laughs> onward I have onward, ice. Onward. I have a bag of ice because I've got it on my uh, my wrists. My grandmother used to run her, run her wrists under cold or hot water if she was hot or cold. So, thanks. Elk and hammer. Elk and hammer. hammer. I'm, I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing you back, AC. <laughs> just, just. I got you. I'm bringing you back. AC. Okay. Okay. So will 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 elk and hammer be a physical location or will it be an online retailer? Okay. To start, it's going to be an online thing. Uh, it's going to be okay. story based with beautiful photography, and yes, I will have a commerce area to buy where the public can buy these. Like handmade knives. I even I reached out to you about doing a story and like make a steak run run of steak knives. Andrea De Leone and um, De Leon and Steve Schwartzer forged some feather Damascus together, so they're going to collaborate on a project. This is, and then there other people will bring in you know paintings or prints. But um, my big idea, which. Yeti came out with a book called Wild Sheep. It's this gorgeous coffee table book. The photography is amazing. I have I know this guy named Sloan Brown in in Austin who's in their marketing department. And when they came out, it was he had helped on this project with um, a guy named Fossman. Foss, what's his first name? Anyway, he's an avid sheep hunter. But I, you know, I used to do a lot of silver gelatin printing and photography. And I bought the book, and it's this gorgeous linen cover. And I thought. Oh my God, what if I did a yearly, like an annual coffee table volume book? Not too thick, but a beautiful linen cover like this, elegantly minimalistic. Danny Vargas did my logo of Slow Artworks. I love his style. And I could have beautiful, large black and white portraits of these incredible people. 
you, Steve Schwartzer, Andrea, like large, you know, five by seven, eight by 10 portraits of bringing, bringing humanity back to what's in your life. Cause we're so disconnected. It pisses me off. And I, I do okay. it too. I go on Amazon. I buy shit. I don't, I mean, I'm the part of the problem too, but then, you know, connect, connecting maker with consumer. And then you're like, oh, yeah, this guy, Nick Angers. Yeah, I, his knife is right over here. Hey, they have a dinner party. They bring out the coffee table book. There's his story. There's his portrait. Oh, yeah, I bought Nick's knife, you know, a couple months ago before this book came out. There's like this whole thing about connection. And I love, I love connecting people. I didn't realize I was so good at it until the last, you know, I just turned 40 years old. I've been through hell and I left California and my life turned around and I realized I'm really good at connecting people. I see you. I, I, Neil Kamamura said I broke him down in 10 minutes. I said, what do you mean? It's like, I don't know. There's something about you. You just kind of, maybe you just, you made me feel so vulnerable. <laughs> you, wait, you made Neil Kamamura feel vulnerable? Yes. And we became great friends. We got wow. to forge with Heavy Metal Forge and his son Woodrow Myers. I great time. That was the the ultimate serendipitous group blacksmithing project. And I need to go back. So I need to go back. That was fun. So sorry. So anyway, you're going to have an online store. I'm going to have an online store. You're going to be high. Yeah, highlighting artists. The stories will kind of intertwine with each other. Steve Schwartzer's story will come in and out. You know, I'm not just going to do an artist and never talk about them again. This is an ongoing group collaboration situation. Everyone involved gets to, you know, maybe meet each other one day, get ideas from each other one day. Because the jewelry business, it taught me how, how isolated I was. How, and when you're an isolated artist, there's something that can happen called depression. And it can get really, 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 really bad. And since hmm. I moved to, I got the, I got uh, the job at the first knife job, and then you know I was blacksmithing at Penland School of Craft. There was something about and going to the hammer ins, you know, you got you you do a lot of hammer ins. There's something about the camaraderie that was like Prozac for me. I need that in my life. Hmm. I need that to stay alive. If I'm an isolated so jeweler, I won't make it. So. So the idea is, is you're going to be connecting all these artists together and you're going to be representing them in certain capacities for your audience. And then you're going to be doing a lot more stories in regards to the people mm -hmm. who are doing the work and you're going yes. to be selling one-offs. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's going to be, I when mean, you say it's a gallery, it's not going to be like a it's Go going ahead. to be high. The I, I come from a very high quality kind of world, so yes, the products will be high quality. So will this, but the stories and the photography will be as high quality as the work that I'm selling, and quality as mm. in taking our time to get to know the person that made these knives, and then you have it in your house and you want to take care of it. And uh, Jill, I mean, like Jill Riker is a beautifully served. I mean, she'll have lower priced items. These gorgeous, you know, salad, um, the salad hands, you know, the forks and knives and spoons, These really, you know, beautiful spoons and tongs. Erica Moody, God, her work is stunning. 
But I want to know what it takes to for a woman like Erica Moody to dedicate her life, the trials and tribulations of what it takes. I think storytelling is a powerful tool. Hmm. So do you see at some point there being a physical place? I think the overhead, I, I, I maybe five to ten years later. I think right now I just okay. want a, a little... I went into my jewelry game at the end really hard and fast, and I failed miserably. And this one is slowly, snail's pace, developing. I'm not rushing it. I'm not pushing anything. I'm not forcing people to do something quickly or overnight. I want to take my time. And I, I, I do have so a that, tendency. That... Yeah, I, I have a tendency to be an impulsive person. And this is this is where my let me you know the universe. The universe, Nick Andre would probably agree. The universe slaps you across the face, and it's like, yeah, well, guess what? You're going to have to learn patience right now. And you're like, okay. So, so here's here's the question. Here's the question I have. It seems as though I, I love the idea of it being like a gallery because it makes it a lot less about production and more about the item itself. Correct. So will when you're putting stuff up, will it be for sale immediately or will there be a wait list or a waiting time? So I, I think are you planning on having it's I what I'm planning it as it develops, I think my idea and I've got a lot of people who who I mold this kind of stuff over with, but I think my idea is that um, there's a story and it's about Steve Schwartzer and we ever, you know, we post his picture and we post his story and then there's a couple knives that he made with Andrea and then there's a link to those knives on the e-commerce site. Um, and then some okay. stories would link to no products. Some stories would link directly to Matt Skoglund of North Bridger Bison and they can buy bison meat and have it shipped to them and eat bison meat for a year if they have a giant freezer. So, so it sounds as though. So this it would be pushed. Everything would be pushed out using like smaller stories because I know everyone's attention span has, mine too, it's dwindled because of the internet and Google. My memory is shoddy because of probably because of Google. Uh, but instead of posting like eating tools has a great premise. They post pictures of the tool and you can buy it, right? This is going to be, I'm posting a picture of Andrea working and she's got this story to tell about X, Y, and Z. And then I'll post a picture of the knife for sale. It's not going to be a bunch of pictures of products. It's going to be pictures of us, the makers, the people. That's, you, you're kind of forced to care about these people. I mean, Andrea has drastically changed her life. She's one of the most smartest deep thinkers I've ever met in my life. She's a glass blower. She's a jeweler. She's a teacher. She's a blacksmith. She's a knife maker. This is something that's extraordinary. And when then when you get one of her knives, you're like, damn, okay. Connection made. Ding. Like that's, I want to do something different than the normal gallery. And you know what? It's a pain in the ass. It's like herding cats. Artists are like... <laughs> they're impossible to get a hold of sometimes. Everyone's schedule is all over the place, which is why it's taking forever. But you know what? God damn it, it's worth it. And I'm willing to put in the work to do that. To make it be done properly 
and beautifully and with class and 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 I want to honor everyone involved and if that takes a little more money and time in the beginning then so be it but god damn it I need to build a life that I'm proud of I need to build a life that I want to be living because I wasn't living a life that I was proud of and that was really scary so it sounds as though content is such a huge part. I know you did some videos with Steve Schwarzer and Andrea when you guys were down in Florida. I know that there's going to be a oh. video element in regards to what you're doing. Yes. I would imagine that there's going to be writing involved. Are yes. you dealing I would I would think that you have some like yes. people involved in Elk and Hammer that are not artists who are the content developers like the people who are going to be doing the writing so I'd imagine very similar to Patagonia you're going to need someone to kind of yes. create uh written words that are going to be you know the story is going to want you're going to want the stories to be similar from artist to artist because you're going to be selling their story or selling the the idea of the person that they are so how involved are you with the content creators the writers I'm and the very, video artists well I'm sort of like the producer i guess that's or creative director i don't know i it's kind of fun giving yourself a new title that you don't even know what it entails but yes i have a writer actually tomorrow afternoon my writer mariah is going to interview steve schwarzer um we also got some video content of him uh, i uh joe van eckout he's a documentarian kind of photographer uh, videographer photographer so when he came out with us to Florida, he did a lot of microphone setups and some interview stuff. So the output is going to consist of video because, you know, TikTok, you know, attention spans, gets people's attention. And then we're going to have right. writers like Mariah and Emily Reed and um, photographers like Preston Hoffman. Preston Hoffman came to Morgan Keenan's brand new knife studio his company cutaway. I'm so proud of him. I mean, I, I want to sit down with him with Mariah and talk like, what does it take to, to build your own business like that? That's really scary. I want to get to know Morgan and, and what it's, it's taking to do this for himself and his life and, and do a production knife company. That is terrifying what? to most people, but you got to be brave to do it. And, and these are people worth Let's talking just... about. Let's just go back in regards to Morgan. Uh, I know that he's he's someone that you wanted me to kind of, you know, wanted to, I'd like to know more about. I want to talk about, I want you to tell me about the people that you're involved with. And so let's start with Morgan. Who is Morgan and what has he been doing? Uh, when I left Los Angeles on a whim, I met Morgan when I came through Jackson Hole. Um, my friend introduced me randomly at some restaurant. Oh, here. Oh, hey, look, this is my friend Morgan. He makes knives. And I was like, oh, what? Because <laughs> I had just done a blacksmithing class like a year prior. And I was on my way to go to Seth Gould's class to do tool making. And I had made a couple, I had forged a couple knives with uh, Jay Burnham Kidwell at Penland School Craft. And I was like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. And my, my boss was there. I was visiting her. And I randomly met this kid, Morgan. And then on my way back, she's like, dude, you should, I mean, I know you're homeless and you're going to go forage for two months at Penland, but you know, I have a friend here who might have, might have a room available. So I ended up serendipitous, serendipitously moving to Jackson Hole. I was there for a year and a half and I, <laughs> I'm sure he was, 
annoyed, but I would text Morgan all the time like, okay, so are you guys hiring yet? Are you guys hiring yet? When's your new shop going to be ready? So then I did get a, I got the job and Morgan uh, taught me to how, how to make their knives. And it was, it was a uh, stock removal, um, S- God, I don't been so long um you know lay up laying up handles grind I basically grind ground 4,500 knives (laughs) I think in total I think after what was the name of his company uh Morgan's new company is called Cutaway C-U-D-A-W-A-Y and so he left Jackson Hole also and we were actually gonna go do something together but then everybody's life kind of went in scrambled directions and he ended up moving back. He moved to Bozeman too. Got this new um, studio set up in a fabulous spot. Um, he's driven. He's hungry. He's young, and I believe in what he's doing because he he's an artist. He did a lot of ceramics. He has a great eye for design. And you know what? He hated school. He's dyslexic, like Steve Schwarzer. He loves working with his hands. What what is what is Cutaway going to be doing with with Elk and Hammer? I'm going to do a story about Morgan, and then Morgan and I are going to collaborate ideas to do some runs of knives for Elk and Hammer's gallery. So, you know, that's maybe great. Some brown ironwood handles with like, you know, turquoise inlay. I don't know, and you know, I'll laser my little logo next to his little logo. Like collaborative projects, ongoing. Fingers crossed. You know. That sounds sounds great. That sounds great because I love the fact that it's going to be a little bit that you're going to have something that kind of more available. Yeah, I'm going to have, but it's still quality. I I I don't want to just. I do, when it comes to tools and food and design and clothing and and knives. I I definitely have to think outside my personal super high quality Steve Schwarzer box and go, all right, well, beautifully served. Her stuff is, you know, $40 for a set of this. And then Erica Moody is $150 for a set of that. Whereas Morgan's Knives can be a more of a runt, like a, a financially uh, lower in cost, but still good quality. And then every once in a while... I can get Steve to make me, you know, a couple sets of steak knives that are a lot more money. But definitely right. having both 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 numbers. Affordable and then your purchase you do every 2 years. And now right. every time I go to Blade Show, I tell myself, "Oh, I'm not going to buy a knife." And then I'm like, "Oh my god, here's my take all my money. Take all my money. I have to have this." It's it's ludicrous, but is that that must be the drug of being a knife maker and then being obsessed with knives is that you just end up collecting knives, is that right? Is that what is that what happens? I would think so. I would think so. I during quarantine I ended up buying uh, quite a few knives from people from friends of mine, and it was definitely became something that I it felt like you need another knife. It was it was definitely on that, <laughs> on that wavelength. I didn't feel like I needed it, but at the same time I was really I like the idea that you're you're really connecting your your people, like the people that you're working with. I know that, you know, Andrea De Leon has a relationship with uh Steve Schwarzer, friend yeah. friend friends and you guys they're gonna be doing stuff together. Tell me about this elk farmer you that you've been working with. Elk farmer? 
Our uh, bison, bison farmer, Bell, oh, bison farmer. Matt Scoglin. He was, he was, he just did a podcast with Mountain and Prairie. A guy named Ed Robinson, who's his good friend. I'm actually going to be on Mountain Prairie soon because Ed's in Bozeman next month. Uh, I met Matt Scoglin kind of when I moved to Bozeman through my friend Anna Borgman, who is a uh, she has a master's in in. I, I don't know. I don't know how to. She did a lot of environmental food related studies. She's brilliant. She's a great writer. Right. She's a new hunter, but she's good friends with Matt. Matt used to be a lawyer turned environmental activist turned bison ranch farmer. So I met hmm. him kind of through the social media thing, and we got on the phone. And I said, "Dude, you have a great story." And then I went out there and, and visited his uh, his ranch and. Um, so he has a wild bison ranch. They roam around. I mean, they're wild animals. Like this isn't this isn't the zoo. But these are also it's not like cows. These guys are eating the grass. He every couple of months he switches the the opens the gate to the other plane that's you know got all the grass and so basically a family can go online and order half a bison, a quarter of a bison, or a full. I mean, this is high-quality grass-fed bison meat. And depending on his orders, is what's so really beautiful about this is that when he does kill one for the meat, it's one straight, straight shot to the head, no pain. He'll wait 30 minutes up to five hours. And he'll find that one bison that just kind of goes off by himself, one of the older ones. And it's one straight shot, which I feel, you know, some people are, oh, don't eat meat. But actually, bison, for they poop. There's fertilizer for the bugs, the bees. This is a whole, everything out there is connected. And when I'm making connections for this gallery, the same thing goes with the food part too, right? Where do your materials come from? Right? Where does your food come to, come from? Who's the guy behind this bison meat? He's dedicated himself to this life. And these, these these bison are kind of like his kids. I mean, he has two adorable kids and a wonderful wife who just got her master's in social work, which is extraordinary. So, I mean, this whole family is just rad. Yeah, he's just a great guy. And he's knowledgeable and he's fun to talk to. And he loved the idea of the project. So Preston Hoffman and I went out there and we we shot him with Won't Kelsey. Will he be involved somehow? Yeah, I think maybe we'll tie him in with Kelsey Johnson goes out there and she has bison prints, graphite. Maybe I'll be able to sell his uh, his some of the bison skulls, which are actually really neat. Um, maybe we'll talk about, I'll take like a 10% cut of his sales that go through the gallery. But the idea is to keep people interested and personally i don't want to get bored <laughs> and i want to constantly be challenged with like how to connect story for one story to the next story it's going to take a lot of finagling but it's it's fun steve's like if you're not having fun then why are you doing it i wasn't having fun in the old world that i was in and now i'm having fun because now it's fun i had to make it fun T tell me Tell me about some of the other people that you're going to be dealing with for Elk um, and Hammer. Kelsey Johnson of Cray Artworks. She does Western painting and um, hand-drawn graphite prints that are just, they're so detailed and elegant. I mean, 
the roster of people I reached out to, Jill Sukup, the horse painter, even Nick Anger and I were on, tech, you know, uh, on Instagram DMing each other. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'd love to be a part of this. So it's, it's a slow growing hmm. thing, but I, knife makers, um, blacksmiths, uh, um, painters, things that enrich your life, things that make your home aesthetically pleasing, things that make cooking in the morning that much more fun and enjoyable, a nice, beautiful, sharp knife, you know? I'm, I'm looking forward to the content, especially how you handle, because I would imagine that for the video or for the writing, there has to be a common theme with all these people. So I'm interested to know how the writing is going to be, there's going to be like a common thread. I think... Or you think that matters? It does matter. Um, I think I still have to sit down with Mariah and it's... Remember, this is, you know, a little baby bird that's still growing. So maybe it's, I'd say, in an egg form. We haven't cracked it yet. <laughs> but it's... I need other people's input. And I, everyone involved... I'm going to do stories on the photographers and writers, too. Is everybody involved. I was like, look, I need your help, too. I need you to come to me with your creative ideas. Preston Hoffman, I want you to take the reins and you go do your thing with Matt Skoglund on his bison ranch. Goodbye. Have fun. If you're not having fun, don't work with me. Mariah, take the reins on the writing. What do you want to ask him? Because that's, you know, these people are good at what they do and I don't want to be anybody's boss. I want to be sort of a connector of like-minded, fun, creative people. Because when I was doing hammer-ins, when I was in Buenos Aires, when we were working together, knife maker and, and blacksmith, it was magical. Everyone involved, everybody's ideas were just as equal and worthy. And we came up with some great stuff. I'm sure you've done hammer-ins with knife makers and blacksmiths. You could, A, you have a great time. Because I'm here for a good time. Because I almost didn't make it. I don't want to talk about that, but I almost didn't make it. So collaborating with creative, like-minded people, that's just, that's my new drug. And I, I, I love it. And hmm. I'm working with wonderful people. And when you you step out in the world and you, you let go of all your expectations, you do end up becoming friends with someone like Steve Schwartzer, who you get to call on the phone and cry to because someone ghosted you and dumped you. And you don't know why. And you got Steve behind your back saying, yeah. I think you're great. You are beautiful and talented. And we get to hang out. And it's just, you know, we need people like that in our lives. And whether we work with them or they're part of our family, my friends are my family. So... I'm just trying to build a life that I'm proud of and that I want to wake up in the morning and be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Nick probably wakes up and he's like, Ooh, like what concoction am I going to come up with this time? His work is so good. And the podcast you did with him was you, he, I, I kind of wonder like, what would a podcast be like with Ben Snur and Nick Anger and you? Wow. Well, I mean, I you know the funny thing about with with Nick is Nick Anger is a guy I've known. Um, I took a class from him for a while ago, and then he invited me to a, a 
kind of an opening that they had in the city, and we had a nice conversation. So he's, you know, he's elusive to a certain degree. And I've been working on trying to get him, you know, to be on this podcast for quite a while. So it was kind of a not not just this one. I wanted to get him on Knife Talk. So it was there was a lot of trust involved, and there was a lot of like, you know. There was. It took a long time. It was not a. It was not an overnight. Yeah, I'll be on your podcast. It was like working at it. So, mm. I think that. I think that same thing with Seth Gould. I I I, I contact oh, Seth yeah. Gould. I think I probably shoot him a message once every four months, and then you know we'll see. I, I, there's a few people like that, who who are reluctant to talk, and 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 when they hear. You know, I try to make it loose and I try to make it relaxed and I try to make it kind of interesting. We'll see. In regards to having Nick and Ben on, I'm, I'm going to have Nick, I'm going to have Ben and, uh, and Honor Kagler on uh, sooner rather than later. But uh, Oh, I'm really sorry about that. Know. I listened to yeah, the pre- Not oh. as sorry as I am. But, you know, what can you do? But did you guys have fun? So yes. I want to know, I want pardon me? Did you guys have fun? You guys. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Great. It was like, it was like. It was like it was ridiculous. Magical. It was absurd. It was like a little bit. Well, I mean, magical is probably not the right okay, word. Okay, that's my. <laughs> was, I like that word. That, I like using that word. Okay, right, well, maybe maybe not. Okay. Anyway. So, what's next for Ashley Childs? I want to know where you're traveling to. One of the things that I like about all this is I feel like this isn't out of the blue. I think that your your experience as a jeweler, as an artist, as a as a as a in in fashion and in and in, in the art world and the traveling and then connecting with people. I know one of the things that you do very well is you connect with people, especially artists. The fact that you're creating something that isn't about the work that you do, it's about the you're celebrating the work that other people do is very oh, yeah. uh, admirable. That's a good direction. It's admirable because, I mean, it, you know, I, will there be Ashley Child <laughs> stuff at Elk and Hammer? I would love to do a run of knives or hammers with and the artist one day and collaborate. My problem is that um, there's this art for in, J- in Japan. There's something that there's something written in their, their artistry is that the, the, the making is the journey. That's your chi. And when you're done and it's over, you give it away and it's done. Like you sell the knife or you, whatever and it's gone. Well, my problem is, is I'm really sensitive and I, there's something about when I'm making something or I'm shaping clay or I'm tweaking like half a millimeter of metal, you know, on an earring. There's something about that process that is 99% my entire, I know this sounds woo-woo, don't laugh. It, it, it's my soul is right there out for everyone to see and it's really hard for me to sell my work sometimes because i'm hmm. i'm a brat that see, some people sub- don't deserve it because it, it meant too much what do you mean to, ah there was a lady at a show decades ago and she was with a fan a, another woman who had a lot of money and she bought one of my necklaces for like two thousand dollars in front of her friend and then turned around and said, oh, it was a mistake, and I want my money back, and I didn't know it was $2,000, and I was like, yeah, you did. You don't, you know, it's just, I worked so hard on this particular necklace, you know, on the floor, on my elbows, like, 
trying to map out like the chain with the pearls with the form I mean everything I put everything I am into this work sometimes and I'm almost too it, it it's it, it's almost too much for me and you know what I prefer cleaning other people's kitchens not my own I prefer connecting other people and helping other people's businesses than selling my own work I never wore my own jewelry Never. I never talked about it. Hmm. I hated talking about it. I hated playing piano in front of people. I liked playing piano by myself when nobody was home. That was my chi. I, I, it's too personal. My work is too much to be exposed. I, I, and that's just, I'm a really private person in a way. I, 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 it's easier and more fun for me to celebrate other people's work. And on top of that, um, I'll, I get to be a student for life, for real. I get to learn so much about so many different crafts. And another problem is I'm interested in everything. I'm interested in physics, in glass, in, in, in um, uh, the weaving, you know, the big weaving things, the bead making, the uh, metallurgy, uh, painting, light design i i i just i want to experience it all i don't want to force myself to be a master craftsman like seth gould that's his job that's just not who i am i tried to force myself to be that and i came out with a collection of jewelry that i am forever will be proud of but I just don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to go there. It's it's too personal. Maybe later I'll file so what, some hammers and make them look all pretty and blah, blah, blah. But right now I just, I don't want to do it. What's next for you? What's the next thing you're up to? Um, I'm probably going to get out of this car and go walk my dog and watch him in the pond. My next is what's happening in the next hour. I think tomorrow I'm going to go help my mom clean a cabin. In terms of next, I I, I've, I, I think I'm going to hit up a, a, hat, a hat maker in Jackson Hole. Maybe put together a collaborative visual content of a hat maker. Um, but right now I'm, I'm loving that I have port parking. I'm never in traffic. I I can breathe. I'm taking good care of myself. I think I had a really, really, really hard time during COVID. I was moving a lot. Really? Yes. It was really scary. And I'm okay talking about this, but I hit a, a certain kind of depression that was, it was insanely scary for me and my family. And I, I had to get on some medication to help help me get through this, but um, a lot of people did. I'm sure yeah. your wife was never not working. Yeah, I mean, psychiatrists, I could never get a hold of one. Everyone needed help. It was really scary. A lot of people lost their lives from the disease, from the COVID. I, it just, it was hard for everybody. And um, the winter here was long. I was new in town. Um, and I, I really, I had to work really hard to get out of it and I'm glad I did. I made it, which is when I turned 40, you know, my dad left me a message. I think I was driving somewhere and he said, you know, 
not a lot of people make it to 40. He's, what? They, they don't. A lot of kids don't make it to 40. And I need to be wow. grateful that I made it this far. Because when I was in my, you know, there were a couple times I didn't want to be here anymore. And I'm okay talking about that because hmm. that's reality. Depression is insidious. It's hard to, it's hard to get out of. And if you well, how are you feeling now? Now I'm on your podcast. I feel great, although my back hurts and I'm still hot. <laughs> I'm sweating. Well, I mean, that's just the way it is. I know. I, just, I don't know I, how well, you do I, this. I will keep you that much. Well, also, I will wait, keep you that much longer. But real but... quick, I need to say I'm so proud of you, Jeff. From watching you with your daughter and your wife and your two podcasts and your knife making, I think you were the hardest working human being I've ever met in my life. I, I can't, I have no wow. idea how you do this. So, good job, You're very Jeff. kind. I'm, I just, I have, a, I have a very strict schedule and I keep to that strict schedule. You're a hustler, man. It's fine. I appreciate it. And I it. wanted to thank you for all your I support mean, the last couple of years. It's mean, it's meant a lot to me. I think we all. Of course, everyone, you're my, you're my yeah, friend. You're my friend too. I'm, I'm grateful. You're my friend. You're part of my life. It's exciting. I just hope it's good stuff. I just hope that this part of your life is that. I happy birthday, by the way, and and welcome to the club. Ooh, I have thanks. to disagree with your father. I have to disagree with your father. A lot of people make it past forty. I'm just, you know, there's but some of them don't, he, but a lot of them do. So and, just let's just he and I let's have just be very, positive well, here. I, yeah, I know, but sometimes it's okay to talk about the hard stuff. And I personally, I think that's why Neil and I became friends so quickly. Is because before I met him, he sent me a video of um, he was forging a knife and talking about his mother. And um, somehow I was like conversing with him before Blade Show, before I met him, um, which kind of connected us. But I am in a much better place, in a positive place. I do think it's okay to be sad if you're really yes. sad. There's a, there's like levels to that that are scarier, but it's okay to be sad and talk about hard stuff. And I think when Neil and I met at Blade Show West in Portland, when he said you broke me down and made me feel so vulnerable, it's because I'm actually really comfortable talking about extremely uncomfortable topics including suicide talk. I think there's something about, I, I have no judgment. I, I love me. I, when I was in, when I was in high school, I had friends who were like, like the, the gang, like the Mexican gang, uh, drug dealers. Those were my friends too. So were the, like some of the surfer guys. So were some of the jocks. Like I was able to just be friends with, I came to everybody with this neutral Switzerland type attitude. Like I'm not judging you. We're both human. I think that's something about I've learned about myself the last couple of years, which is going to help me and make this new gallery project so great. Because you have to, as an artist, I want to trust the gallery that I'm in. And I want my artist to feel comfortable and safe. That's all that matters. So. I appreciate that. Thanks. And I appreciate you. I think that, I think that you're too hard on yourself sometimes. Yeah, that's what a lot of people but say. <laughs> I think that that's. I think that you're too hard on yourself. I think that you don't give yourself enough credit. Well, and you one know, of the things that issues. Everyone. One of the things that I know about you, and that I appreciate about you, 
is your willingness to become friends with people. You're very open, you're very caring, you're very kind and considerate, and you bring joy to people. And if that doesn't make you happy, I don't know what does. I mean, you bring joy to people. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't do, and they don't realize how important that actually is. Oh, wow. Never heard it like that. Thanks. Well, it's true. I mean, I see when I see images of you with Steve and um, Andrea or when you were at the Blade Show and you were with other people and you were just excited, there's there's an exuberance that you have that I think is very infectious. Infectious? Infectious. Oh, that's infectious. A, oh I love that word. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great word. No, I... I mean, that's not the bright time in, in, our, in our pandemic to use infectious, but this is the I'm trying to be positive here. Yeah. I think that you, you bring joy to people's lives, and I think that there's something to be valued to that. Huh. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Blade Show is amazing. I'm glad I connected Mauricio with Steve Schwartzer because Mauricio knew him. He lives in Argentina, and... Connecting those two brought me joy. So, you're right. I am too hard on myself. I never give myself enough credit. Maybe it's, you know, I never felt good enough in my family because I was dyslexic. I hated school. And I got in trouble all the time for being curious. I got shamed and in trouble Mm. for being curious. That sucks when you're a kid. So it sounds as though... You're all, it, everything's getting ready. When do you think uh, Elk and Hammer will kind of be up and starting to move? Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to say next year. I, I don't okay. like being rushed. So next year. Okay. Okay. But in the meantime, what I notice is you're doing a lot of content. Are you going to be still doing a lot of video and content or? Teaser content. Okay. You know, Teaser content. Keep, keep people engaged. Like, oh, what is this? Oh, yeah. Well, it's very exciting. I'm Hi. happy for you. I'm Thanks. hoping that it's everything that you want it to be. I know you have a lot of fans behind you, and I'm sure that it's going to be great. Uh, is there any last thing you want to say before? I know it's super hot, and I really appreciate your time. Is there anything you want, any last words you want to say about you or Elk and Hammer or anything else? Uh, I'm just, I'm really grateful to be here and be able to talk about it my a little bit about my life i'm i'm really grateful for my fans i guess i have fans i was someone recognized me at play show it's like oh that's weird but okay i'll take it great um i i appreciate the making community more than more than life itself these everyone i've met since i started making knives and blacksmithing is just absolutely stellar humans out there um, and you're one of them and i'm thank you i just wanted to say thank you this is what a great opportunity to do this with you so i thank you i think ac ashley childs guys yeah. i want you to do me a favor i want you to follow ashley ashley childs on instagram elkin hammer go oh, wait follow i elkin want ha- Go subscribe and put your give us our give give me your email address and then you'll be the first ones to know when I'm actually launching. And that's at elkinhammer.com. Elkinhammer.com. Okay. 
So guys, oh, wait, wait. Can I real quick tell you what please, it means? The elk. The please. elk is the nature endurance part, and the hammer is, you know, the the tools, the handmade. It's there. You go. It's a elk. Yep. And hammer. Full circle. Full circle. I'm with you, guys. Go follow Ashley. Go follow Elk and Hammer. If you're on Facebook, they also have a Facebook group. Uh, you mm-hmm. can go to elkandhammer.com and subscribe, and then you'll get newsletters and re- you'll, you'll be on the you'll be on the hit list. Not on the hit list from those <laughs> from those diamond guys, but you'll get the news Woof. first. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate you coming in here. You're the best. You're the Listen best. To I, me, guys. I appreciate you very much, Jeff. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Guys, listen to me. I want you to subscribe, leave a review where you leave reviews for this podcast. I want you to go help me out. It does a lot. Go make sure you get some AK Interactive, get a new website in your life. Go buy some Axe Wax Full Blast uh, 10 for 10% off at axewax.us. And next week, I'm excited. I have a local, I have a local to me friend who's a sculptor, who's an artist. His name is Keith Decent. He's going to be in here. Uh, he going to be in here next week. And then we got a lot of stuff coming up. We got Aaron Goff coming in. We have Slavic Smith. I'm going to get uh, Honor and uh, I'm going to have Honor and Ben in soon. I'm also going to be doing a holiday episode. I'm going on a holiday. So I'm going to have a holiday episode with Nico Tavernisi. Listen to me, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Ashley, I wish you nothing but the best. You rule. You're my friend, and I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate how hard you work, and I only wish you peace and love and happiness for this thank, new venture. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And next time I see you at a hammer and I get to give you a hug. Maybe. That'll be nice. I'm I'm in the I'm in the barely like the handshakes. I, I I like okay. waving right now. I'm a wave well, guy. I like to wave. I need I do need to forge some hammers with uh, John Ariani. Hi. <laughs> That's it. All right, guys. <laughs> we're gonna see you next week with Keith Decent. Bye bye. The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax an all-natural, food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots, with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.